The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well uh, old, as well access old archive shows all on the website at andyanddon.com. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Good morning Scott. Scott. Nice to see you too. So the first thing I think we need to talk about is oil prices. Uh, I guess this week, as of this week, oil is free? Kind of confusing, isn't it? Boy, uh, is it ever. than free, actually. Uh, when it, it actually hit during the week on a futures contract, which is something that they, options and futures come out of Chicago, trade um, every day, basically. It's, it's highly speculative, but at the end of the day, it was negative $37 a barrel back on Monday. And now that expired. That contract expired at midnight that day. Uh, but bottom line is, you know, when they say oil is, is worthless, it's actually, uh, they wish it was worthless. It wasn't even worth that much. It was negative $37. That means they've got so much oil, they have no place to store it. So does that mean if we drive to the gas pump that they'll fill our tank and give us 50 bucks? How good would that be? <laughs> <laughs> Only in May. <laughs> yeah, only on Monday. No, there's apparently there's about thirty-five cents per liter that is tax, and that is oil prices, not gasoline prices, although they're related. But I guess if it was free, oil was free, it would still be a, between thirty-five and forty cents a liter at the pumps, and that's just all tax. So yeah, we're if you've ever seen that's totally unprecedented when they've hit negative. Um, I actually had to listen to that. You know, the, the, the show of talking about it twice, because I actually didn't believe my ears. Very strange times. You know, can you imagine if you're driving a vehicle today, and, and that's the irony is, of course, is that nobody is driving their vehicles yeah. today. So these cheap gas prices aren't really filtering through to our pocketbook. But we're still saving money because we're not driving. And just on that note, too, on the driving front, um, we're encouraging all clients to contact their insurance company if they've reduced their driving. And... Um, they're actually, uh, I know for us and for my son, they received an insurance refund already electronically transferred to their bank account after filling out an online form. So basically, you're going to your insurer, your car insurer, they will probably have an online form that you can access for a COVID discount. And uh, with your insurance policy information, etc., that's something I would put on your tick box to get done this week. Yeah, there's always some little tips people are trying to be as accommodating as possible. Companies are being accommodating, allowing, you know, obviously if you're not using your car, there is no insurable risk for liability sitting in your garage, so they should give us a discount. And it's great to see that they are stepping up on that. Um, Going back to uh, oil and oil and gold and all those, they're just basically what they call commodities. And that's one area of the investing world, very speculative, and they they, literally, they can be, they're ticket tape by the second. They will tell you, you know, what the price is every given day of what, uh, and, and very speculative, nothing that we deal with. And we're, and you got to be, I don't know, you have to have nerves of steel to deal in that area. It's not, not quite what uh, I would suggest most financial planners are dealing with. However, the fund managers, on the other hand, that are running the funds, 
they would often be using um, commodities in some of the funds that you may purchase, and they would be buying and selling on your behalf, which is by far the way I'd like to see things done. But how significant is it? I mean, we have seen over the years, since you guys have been doing this show, interest rates go up and down, fuel prices, gas prices, oil prices go up and down, but to hit zero or in a negative category? I mean, what does that mean? What are the, ram- what are the ramifications of that? That's a, that's a hard one. You just think, um, first of all, uh, it, it's kind of funny. Certainly it's not the summertime driving up to see go to somebody's cottage or, or whatever. When it seems oil, the oil prices always go up when you really need gas. But now that uh, you don't need gas, of course, <laughs> it's even negative at this stage. It'll be interesting. Uh, already the following day, they said in May, the, uh, the futures contracts were at $20 a barrel. So from minus 37 to $20 a barrel, that's a 40 um, that's a thirty. Sorry, a fifty-seven dollar swing in oil prices, which again we're in just really strange times, and it's a commodity. They could probably stop producing it totally for a month, and we would, or actually probably longer than that, because there's so much oil in storage right now. So, for again, for the average consumer, this doesn't affect them too much. But I'm sure there are some opportunities for some of the fund managers running their funds, and uh, likely would take advantage of these things. That being said, uh, looking at what the average investor can take advantage of, it's kind of interesting. We always look at returns. And there's one thing I was looking at this week, and it showed the 10-year rolling average. So that, they went from 1966 to 2016, and how, what the returns were, and they went month by month. And it turns out the average return from 1966 to 2016, so that's a 60-year span, uh, 50 years then. Anyway, it's, uh, it was 9.7%. And we think, okay, well, you're going to average 9.7% if you invest in any 10-year period of time. It's a little misleading because there's some good 10-year periods of time. And then, of course, there's some poorer 10-year periods of time. And the best 10-year period of time was 19.5% compound return if you invested August 1977 and 10 years later, August 1987, you got a 19.5% rate of return. So basically, August of, of 77 was likely a down year. And if that was the case, you're buying when it was low, and you end up with a very good return. Now, the opposite end of the spectrum is the worst 10-year period of time ended August 2010. So that means, and the return, by the way, was 2.8%. So if you bought... If you, if you uh, purchased in August 2000, and it was likely a, a fairly high time to buy, I suppose, your average return for 10 years was 2.8%, still positive. And that was one of the worst 10-year periods of time you could have got. But at the end of the day, it was in the Globe and Mail actually this week, it was just basically showing if you invest during any of the downtimes, your average 10-year return was always significantly higher than, of course, if you bought when everything was rosy. And that was the Canadian returns. The same was true with the U.S. The U.S., uh, it's kind of interesting, they look at the Standard & Poor's 500, and the one-year return, the best one-year return was June 1983, 60% return. So if you put in $10,000 in June 82, you'd be sitting at 16000 a year later. Fantastic. However, the worst one-year rate of return we could probably guess was 
February 2009, and you had a negative 43%. So if you put in 10,000 in uh, February 2008, it was down 43% one year later. But again, that's the kind of volatility you can get in a one-year spectrum. Once you started creeping up in longer terms, and let's say we went to a five-year period of time, the best five-year rate was 28%, and the worst five-year rate on the um, U.S. stock exchange, Standard Poor's, was minus 8%. Okay? Um, looking at the 10-year returns, you can see they're starting to narrow. There's less volatility because you're looking at longer term. But the best 10-year return was August 2000, which is kind of interesting. It's nowhere near the best uh, 10-year return on the, on the Canadian stock market, but the return was almost the same. So the U.S. was February uh, 2009 was the best 10-year return. 19, sorry, the worst. August 2000 was a 19%. Um, it turns out the worst 10-year return was minus 3% February 2009. So, again, it's still negative, and you could have actually had a negative return for 10 years in the U.S. stock market. But, again, just because it's good in the, the uh, Canadian doesn't necessarily the same 10-year period was in the U.S., and that's why you diversify. So going a little further, if you, held, if you invested money for 15 years in the U.S., there was never a negative period all the way back to 19. Uh, this was even further. This one went back uh, 60 years, this one. And, and there was never a negative 15-year period of time. In fact, the worst was plus 30, uh, sorry, plus 3.7, and the best was 20%. And again, 20-year returns, the further you go out, basically, the safer it got. And this is the whole point of investing, is take advantage of those low times. You're, you're buying, you're buying uh, during these times, and again, trying to time the market's impossible, but you're almost... In all cases, if you look at history of the last 200 years, if you happen to buy in those dips, regardless of the dip, your 10-year performance was far better than if you bought when everything was rosy. So, so basically, you're looking here at, uh, if you go back to, say, 1956, and you had $10,000 to invest, and the rate of return would have been 8.93%. Well, your $10,000, fast forward to, to, uh, to 2019, it would be worth one, sorry, $2,189,000. And there was 24 negative times in that period of time where it dropped more than 10%. The average length of those declines was 5.5 months, and the, sh the shortest time was one month. It dropped over 10% one month. But the longest time was 16 months. Funny enough, that was September 2014. I don't even remember that being that bad of a time. But that was the longest period where it dropped over 10%, 16 months where you had a negative return of greater than 10%. I also looked at this at real estate. What, if you, what was the average price of a home? And the data I got was from an Ottawa home. The average price of a home in Ottawa in 1956, what would you guess, Scott? I would say uh, 56, I would say $15,000. That's, that's what I was going to say. 13351 I got the double garage. And that same house at the end of 19, average house in Ottawa was $465,000. So the rate of return on a home would have been 6.28%. 
And it had five negative years, by the way, during that time. There was five years, but nothing as volatile, but still negative. But at the end of the day, if you bought a house and you've got to pay property taxes, there's upkeep, etc., $13,000, fast forward to 2019, would be 465000 10,000 in the Canadian stock market, fast forward to 2019, it's worth 2.2 million basically. So at the end of the day, yes, the stock market is a little bit more volatile, but with that comes a greater return. And again, at the end of the day, it, it, helps, it helps you uh, accomplish your financial goals. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call, 905-529-7165, and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You know, we've talked on the show, uh, there's so many different angles of COVID-19, whether it's the health angle, the financial angle, the economic angle, the job angle. And, you know, you have to think in your business financially, what lessons have we learned from COVID-19 going through all this? That's a great question. And I was think when I was thinking about that in terms of probably six things that came to mind and, uh, and, and in fact, just in, in no particular order, but starting with sort of on what Don was talking about, which was the risk that people have within their investments, uh, stock market versus real estate, et cetera. And risk is a measurement. So the number one lesson is it's probably unveiled how much risk we have in our portfolio. And uh, so understanding how much risk you have in your portfolio, I think is important because it sets the stage for downturns like this or bear market or corrections and uh and risk in a portfolio is measured through something we call standard deviation and standard deviation is a terminology but basically if you remember from the days of of high school when they used to use the bell curve to adjust people's marks to create a representative group of uh results it's the same thing with standard deviation. So one standard deviation takes into account 68% or roughly two-thirds of the rates of periods of rates of return that you, that you get. And two standard deviations takes into consideration 95% of the time period that you're invested and understanding how much did your portfolio go up or down in, those time, in that time period. So to give you an example, if your expected rate of return on your portfolio was 5% and it had a standard deviation of 10%, uh, then what that means is, in, in according to the bell curve, one standard deviation means your portfolio could be as low as minus 5% rate of return in one year or as high as plus 15% in one year. And that covers two-thirds of your time frame. When you go to two standard deviations, you just simply increase the returns of each end by 10%, the number, that standard deviation. So now you've got a range of returns from minus 15 to plus, 9, to plus 25, which is a 40% swing. And so, But that covers 95% of your investment time frame. So if you're thinking about a 10-year period, 
basically your portfolio would swing by as much as minus 15 in one year to as much as plus 25, but it averaged 5% over your 10-year period. And um, so understanding what the standard deviation in your portfolio, this is something that is now front and center, and you can easily ask your advisor or look up your investments to find out what that standard deviation number is. And, uh, but you can imagine if you had a standard deviation of 20 on your portfolio, then you know, the swings could be as much as minus 35% to plus 45, which is an 80% swing in the value of your portfolio over, say, a 10-year time period. So, but being armed with that information is so important because it now sets the stage. And I've had conversations, and I'm sure Don has too, with clients over the last several years saying, you know, we've had very good market performance, but your portfolio has a standard deviation volatility. You could get as much as, say, minus 15 to as much as plus 30, and that can happen at any time. We don't know when. But it's just part of the, of the equation for you to achieve that above average return over time, you have to endure these swings. Never easy when you're in it, but um, it, the, the reality is, is that it will come to an end and it will revert back to this long-term average. The second thing we've learned from <clears throat> COVID-19 is the, is the value of having a short-term reserve or emergency cash. And uh, you know the standard thought process on this is three to six months worth of your monthly income for your from salary, etc. And a lot of times that's just unrealistic for people to have that much cash sitting aside. You never and, and if it is, then set yourself a goal after all of this to at least look at, you know, can I put a thousand dollars into a reserve somewhere? Just something that is a benchmark to be able to fall back on. And obviously if you can get to the three or six month reserve, that's an option as well. And some people will consider using a line of credit as a backstop or a home equity line of credit as well. I think the third thing that we've learned from all of this is what I call lifestyle creep. <laughs> and it's so easy to, um, to allow our lifestyle to expand as our salary and our income has expanded over the years. Kind of like and, our waistline, uh, really. Something like this that sheds the light on us, how we, uh, yeah, how we can... Uh, really find out where where is our money going on a monthly basis, and sort of lots of parts of our discretionary lifestyle have stopped at this point. And, and if so, you look at if you look at your credit cards right now, you'll you'll find exactly what the lifestyle creep right now because you can't go out for dinner. And I don't know about you, Andy, but I definitely see a difference in my credit card in the last month, say, than the normal marcher would have been. Oh, it's crazy. It's just crazy. And uh, in fact, so you actually sort of jumped into what I was going to call uh, lesson number four, which is budgeting. So I don't know. Some people say, you know, I'd rather have a root canal than talk about budgeting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the truth is it's, it's never been easier to gather data about where your money is going, <clears throat> whether it's your credit card statement, whether it's your debit card. Uh, it's, it's all there available to you. So unless you just want to put the blinders on, there's no reason why you can't at least do an assessment and understand where your money is going. <clears throat> so budgeting is a great lesson from all of this. The fifth lesson that I would take from this is what I call business concentration risk. And for all of those people that have, you know, and we've, we talk about this with clients that are, that are in their own business where they've relied on their retirement to be funded through the value of their business. And suddenly what's happened in this environment is we realize that 
business valuations can be dramatically changed with circumstances beyond our control. So it's so important, I think, to diversify the value of your retirement plan. It, it can't be just based on one asset. Uh, and, and so many times we feel overconfident about our business and the value of that business as well. And uh, I think the sixth thing we'll learn from all of this is, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, as they say, and the next crisis comes down, the next downturn happens. Let's hope that it's less painful because of the things that we've learned f- through all of this and the sense of being more prepared, obviously, uh, certainly from a financial position. And, and you look at every crisis, what, it's always different. You go in the 70s, and all the experts, and I don't know if you remember, but uh, if you had to drive to Florida, and I know I did as a kid back then, you, you are okay because you're out of country or out of province. But the people in one province, they looked at your license plate, depending on your number, it was odd and even who could fill up gas because the gas was going to run out. Oil prices, um, all the experts agreed that we would run out of oil in about 40 years, which would have been about 2015 or something like that. And here we are today with an absolute glut and <laughs> so much oil we don't know where to put it. So, again, and then we have the 80s when interest rates hit, um, you know, 20%, and that caused a big issue. And, you know, at the time, you say, how can the economy rebound when interest rates are so high? Well, things change. And then, of course, uh, Y2K and the tech meltdown in 2000, another different crisis. Again, you know, massive fluctuations. What do you do then? And then, we, of course, we had the financial crisis of 08, 09, and now here we are with the pandemic. So everyone has a little bit of a different flavor, but at the end of the day, the markets are volatile in the short run, and they do, as we just, as I just talked about, the 10-year returns are a lot more predictable. Well, and as I said, you know, these six sort of these six lessons that we can take away from this, and, and that'll be, I'm sure, adjusted over time. But understanding the risk in your portfolio, having an emergency reserve, lifestyle creep, budgeting, business concentration, and our best laid plans. I think when there, there are still those people that are. Uh, really struggling right now financially, and in, in many ways they need they need more help at this point. And, and when it comes to the financial side, if you've lost your job, your income is reduced, etc. Uh, you know the question of things like bankruptcy, etc. You know, do you what what are your solutions to this? And I think just quickly on that note, that I think you need to understand number one, what is the bare minimum that you need to live on. For example, you know, what is your rent? What are your mortgage and loan payments? How much are we spending on food? So understanding the, the, the sort of bare minimum of where you are and what you need on a monthly basis. Number two is looking at, from a financial perspective, what money is coming in every month? You know, you, you, maybe your wages are reduced. Maybe you're getting EI. Maybe you're getting the emergency response benefit. Understand what money is coming in. And then step three would be to look at what shortfall there is. Do I have, how much am I going to be short on a monthly basis at this stage? And step four comes to the phone call, and this is contacting your creditors. And, and this is so critical to contact your creditors before you miss a payment. And by doing it before you miss a payment, you're going to be able to engage them in a, in a healthy conversation. You can explain your situation. You can ask for a reduction in interest. You can ask for a reduction in payments. Uh, and just explain to them, it's, it's, it's not that you don't want to pay. You're happy to pay what you owe. You're just looking for a strategy. And just ask them, what do you have to offer me 
to help me get through this. And, um, and as I say, most creditors are going to be very accommodating to helping you through this crisis. Uh, and the final thing is, if you're still in a trouble, there are nonprofit debt counseling uh, assistance. So search for that in your local area. And um, there's certainly lots in Ontario. <clears throat> and there's really no cost to do this or cost for the introduction to understand where you are. Um, and it, once you do, if you do enter into a, uh, a, a consolidation agreement, then there is a fee for that service of 25 to $30 a month to have it. And the question often gets answered is, am I going to have it or ask, am I going to have a negative effect on my credit score if I enter into one of these agreement um, structures? And the answer is yes, it will have some impact on your credit score. But I think we're at the point where it's the lesser of two evils. Should I declare bankruptcy or should I enter into um, a debt counseling agreement with my creditors? And I would opt for the first one. Entering that uh, agreement process versus uh, the bankruptcy is, I think, a better route to go. It's the lesser of two evils. So we know there are people that are at this point, and so it's important to make sure you know how to reach out and get the, uh, the right solutions for your situation. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, even credit cards, uh, for those people who do have balances, simply call your credit card company, and they, they are going to lower your interest rate to about 10.99 seems to be the norm versus the 20%. But again, you're, you have to make that call. They're not just automatically lowering those credit card balances. So all these things, they all add up, and there's lots of different areas where you can save a little bit of money, but it all starts with cash flow planning. And this is the area that, again, part of a financial plan is to do a, that budget word, but it's really cash flow planning. What is your lifestyle? Everybody's lifestyle right now is definitely a little different, but a, I know when uh, Andy and I do a retirement plan, we spend a lot of time going through, you know, what is your grocery bill and what's the cable bill and all the, It's not that we really want to know this stuff, but this is your retirement. And we need to know, um, will your money, you know, we want to make sure it lasts throughout your life. And I just want to add, I know there's one more area of support that is not necessarily for individuals, but this would be for business owners. And this is a $40,000 business loan that the federal government has made available to support uh, businesses through this through the crisis. And essentially, uh, the, the, the interesting part about this is the $40,000 loan is interest-free. It does not have to be repaid until December 31st, 2022. And if you repay 30000 of the loan, the other 10000 will be granted uh, without any charge. So this is a, an opportunity to support your payroll process, to support your ongoing expenses. Uh, there are a number of um, criteria that are involved in qualifying for the $40,000 exemption. And um, I think the, the key things are is that you have to have employment income uh, where you've paid employees income of anywhere between $20,000 and $1.5 million. So this is not for large corporations. Anything A payroll of over $1.5 million uh, would not qualify. Uh, you must have a business account set up before March 1st, so this would be like a checking account, a, you know, an operating account for your business. And you must get the T4 summary, which is uh, from 2019, a T4 summary from 2019, which is basically the amount that CRA, that has been issued to individuals in the form of T4s, and CRA keeps a, a record of that for you as well. So, um, 
there, there's a few more details on that. You can easily talk to your bank about getting the $40,000 loan. Most all of them will have a online access where you can fill out a application for the 40000 and also some short, quick questions about uh, do you qualify for it as well. And uh, I, you know what, it, it, it almost makes sense for everybody. Uh, you can't just take this and go and spend it on stuff. You do have to repay it, um, there, and there will be some accountability at the end of the day, but uh, it is a great opportunity for people to bridge through some of the ongoing expenses that they've got for the next couple of years. And any time you can get 40000 and only have to repay 30000 a year and a half later, doesn't sound like a bad deal to me. Yeah, that's nice. All, all the small business owners out there, I would definitely recommend taking advantage of that. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well. Uh, listen to old archive shows uh, online. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister, Don Fox, they're here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, COVID-19, where is this going? What, what happens in the immediate future? What do you tell people? Well, I think that this is uh, from an economic standpoint and from a, a stock market standpoint, I think there's a lot that we're looking at and trying to understand the risks and where does all this sort of start to, where's the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. And um, and I know I've mentioned in previous shows over the last several weeks that Don and I have been are participating in ongoing uh, weekly or even daily uh, video conference calls with people that are way smarter than us, all from all around the world, in fact, uh, telling us about all the work, the hard work that's going on behind the scenes within everybody's investment portfolio, which are being professionally managed. And, and one of the speakers that we had, um, a couple of speakers last week, I just wanted to share some thoughts with, and I thought uh, they, they made a lot of sense in terms of trying to put this into perspective. And when you think back to other financial crisis or financial shocks that we've had, the, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, um, and that was that was created by economic problems and and fundamentally stability in the uh, in the lending side of business that then turned into a recession uh, in the short term as a result. The difference with this is this is actually a public health crisis that, by decree, has created a financial crisis. In other words, we we sort of self inflicted ourselves. By, by no choice, it was by decree that we had gone into this financial shock. And, uh, and that's different than before. We've never seen something like this, but it also maybe prepares us for the future because this won't be the last time that we see a pandemic of, of, of various levels. And now we understand, is there a short-term shock that we can decree that might bridge us through this in the future again? 
And on top of that, we know that uh, central banks all around the world have backstopped the financial system as a result and provided liquidity. And this is something that they didn't understand back in 2008, 2009, how, and they were slow to actually respond to this liquidity issue in terms of keeping the uh, businesses flowing, keeping uh, the stock market flowing, and uh, the bond market as well. <clears throat> so the question comes down, well, where are we, like in the short run versus the long run? And in the short run, of course, everything is still very unpredictable. Volatility continues to be the norm. And uh, it's very difficult to even be an investor in this environment because things can shift so much on a daily basis. But in the long run, and we don't know how far out this is going to be exactly, but the, the, the point is we need to start to assess what's the damage on the economic side versus the healthcare health crisis side. And we know in April we started to see some positive news, and that resulted in an actual flattening. Uh, we saw a flattening of the curve in terms of the uh, COVID situation, and markets responded quickly and went up about 20%. But we're still kind of worrying about a global recession and what shape will that be? Will it be U-shaped, V-shaped, W-shaped? And in, in addition, job claims have skyrocketed as well. And uh, at the end of the day, the biggest worry that, our, uh, that the smart people are looking at is what we call headline risk. And headline risk is the result of where, let's say there was a second wave in Italy and people were getting sick again and people were starting to die the headlines that the news media are going to grab will be very, very uh, explosive. And we could see a dramatic drop in the stock market as a result. So it's the news flow that is actually the key driver in the short term to what the stock market's going to do. More negative news, more negative stock market result. But again, it's short term. And on a, on a, on a positive note, though, we did hear from a gentleman, Martin Fahey, who's out of Dublin, Ireland, talking about what's happening in the Eurozone. And uh, in European governments are actually in the process of reopening. And as of May 1st, they're going to see the first phase, which is the construction individual, the construction people. And, uh, and every, two or th every couple of weeks, they're going to be introducing new businesses that they feel, from a risk-adjusted perspective, can start to ramp up again. So that's happening in Europe. And, um, you know, we're continuing to hear better news flows for ourselves here in North America as well. So long term, I think things will always sort of be the same. Just short term, the, un the unpredictability of it will always be there. But uh, we definitely see some, some light at the end of the tunnel for all of this. And, um, and from an investment standpoint, the, the, the process remains the same. But one thing that's highlighted more than anything is what we call corporate governance. And this is the ability of people to run a business with good cash flow, positive cash flow, the capacity to survive an emergency like this. And that differentiates a lot of businesses that might be sort of you know, on the edge. And uh, so things like Brexit are a distant history now, but uh, COVID has taken over. And I'm sure in the years to come, we'll be talking about other crises in the same, in the same context of how it impacts the markets. Wow, Brexit. I forgot all about that. Yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes. That's like, it almost seems like it's a lifetime ago. It does. Yeah, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you. 
at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about opportunities within your portfolio. Yes, as much as we really don't like to see our portfolio values drop, and I'm sure a lot of you have already received your March statement now, you're going to say, okay, what can I do about this? And there's a couple things you can do. It's, a, it's actually a great time to rebalance your portfolio. You know, if you had rebalanced your portfolio and moved your money around, say, to, out of U.S. and over to Canada or whichever the, the case may be, you would be selling one area to buy another area. Well, that usually would trigger a capital gain. Well, at this stage, there may not even be a capital gain. There could even be a capital loss, or the gains would be far less than they were prior to uh, February 19th. So a great time to rebalance your portfolio. Uh, Secondly, um, if there is opportunities in terms of capital losses, you could actually do some what they call um, tax loss selling right now. And we did a lot of this back in 08, 09, when the market dropped at, at that time, because you can trigger this capital loss and use those against capital gains you had in the previous three years or to save them for, for uh, indefinitely for the future for any capital gains. So those losses, they're actually, they show up on your notice of assessment and so they can be banked basically for any future gains. But again, if you did have a, a capital gain in the last three years and you're saying, okay, I would love to use that right now and, and my, you know, my, my portfolio is down and I can create this loss, why not create the loss now and then go back? When, it's not for, it'd be for 2020's tax year, but you could use it against 2019, 18, or 17 tax years and, and claim back some of that tax you already paid. So a great idea there. Now, you do have to keep in mind, if you sell a position, so let's say you had a, an investor's group dividend fund and you sold that, you can't buy that back right away. You have to wait 31 days. Otherwise, they, even though it would have triggered a loss, you basically it's as if you never sold it, and they won't allow that loss. So you have to put it into something else for 31 days that probably is similar. So you could buy a McKinsey dividend fund or a Canadian equity fund or something that is similar, so then you can put it right back to the Investors Group dividend fund 31 days later and own the exact same position, and you've triggered that, that loss. So... Great idea there. Now, here's an example. Let's say you paid, in, you know, years ago for a rental property. You paid four hundred thousand dollars, and you sold it in 2019 for five hundred thousand. You just had enough of the tenants or whatever, and you say, okay, that's enough. I made a hundred thousand. Great. But now, when you make a hundred thousand, the tax, the capital gain on that hundred thousand, is uh, you only pay tax on fifty percent of that, and that's a taxable capital gain. So you would pay tax on 50000 and if you were in the highest tax bracket, you would pay $25,000 tax on that. Well, let's say on, on January 1st, 2020, you took your 500000 and you put that into generally equity markets. And 
and they had gone from 500000 and now they're worth 400000 So you would actually have a loss right now if you were to sell it. Now, it's only a loss on paper, but why not sell it, buy something similar, trigger that loss, that $100,000 loss, which ends up being a capital, a taxable loss of 50000 and then you can reclaim that $25,000 tax you paid in 2019. And then you'll have, you still have the investments. They're still going to grow in value. And you don't have to trigger that gain for as long as you want, basically. But in the meantime, you've got this $25,000 back, which can be reinvested. So you can take that money and put it right back in. So this is a, a great opportunity for any tax loss selling. And if you simply do have a lot of capital gains year by year because, say, a mutual fund is sending out what they call capital gain dividends. And this is a yearly on your T3 or T5 slip. It's, it's just in a yearly amount. It varies each year. But if you did do exactly what I said in the, in the case and you triggered a loss of 100000 a taxable loss of fifty, you can carry that loss forward indefinitely. So all these capital gains going forward, you would not have to pay tax on them until you've used up that bank. So it's almost like money in the bank. So again, there's really no downside. You've still got the exact same portfolio but now you've got some losses that you've banked for the future or can go back for the, for the past. And finally, what a great time to top up that tax-free savings account if you haven't already done so. So if you can sell now your investments and you say, you know what, I still have some RSP um, tax-free savings account room. Why wouldn't you take your, let's say you had $20,000 of tax-free savings account room, but you really didn't want to trigger that capital gain. And you'll keep thinking, well, I don't want to, move my money onto my non-registered over to my tax savings account because they've got a big capital gain. Here's that opportunity again. Move it into your TFSA, and now you've got $20,000 that will then, when things recover, will then get tax-free growth. And so you kind of have your cake and eat it too, so you're able to perhaps trigger a capital loss, which can be used against you know, previous, loss, uh, previous gains or future gains, and you can now move it into a TFSA if you have the room for both you and your spouse and any future gains would be tax-free. So there is some opportunities. These aren't what we normally say, oh, wow, let's have a capital loss. But if there is an opportune time to do this, and if it fits in your overall financial plan, I would definitely recommend do this. This would be something you should just uh, give your financial planner a call and see if it fits for your situation. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message, they'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Scott. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.